several months of uh, not only just 2021, but also in 2020, um, there is screaming out. People are screaming. They're wanting hope, and they're not finding it. And the reason why, we, we, I wrote an article for our blog on Ash Wednesday and why, uh, why some Christians celebrate Ash Wednesday. And, and with Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of the Lent season, it, we're recognizing our mortality. When, uh, especially, mostly Catholics uh, will kind of put the ash on uh, foreheads in the, in the shape of the cross. And that is to identify, number one, that they came from dust and they're going back to dust. They're returning to dust. Coming from uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, for you are dust, and to dust you will return because of the fallenness of Adam. And this is their sentence, right? They, they were created through the dust. We see this in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, God formed Adam from the dust, but now because of sin, they will return to the death in death. Even Hebrews no, chapter 9, verse 27, for man to die once... All men, all women, all hu- creatures, all humanity will die. And that's what Ash Wednesday is to, to identify that we are all going to die. But yet, without Calvary, without the resurrection, we have no hope. We have no hope. If we are to return to dust, then what hope do we have on that journey to dust? If there is no Calvary and there is no resurrection, we have no hope without the cross, without Easter. Many people feel the hopelessness of the world and their condition. This is from a, a TV show that me and Lisa have been watching about heaven and, and hell called The Good Place. Here's a quote from the show. It's impossible for anyone to be good enough for the good place. 
These days, just buying a tomato at a grocery store means you're unwittingly supporting toxic pesticides, exploiting labor, and contributing to global warming. So how, even if you buy a tomato, you actually are receiving negative points, the show says. And the character of the show says life is, is a game you cannot win. I think many people feel like that life is just a game you cannot win. You can't even buy a tomato without guilt. Pastor Rich, I mean, Professor Richard Day calls this the infinite responsibility, that you have responsibilities that you don't even know. That buying a tomato, you could be causing the earth to warm. You could be causing toxic pesticides that kill creatures and people and things like this. And many people have this infinite guilt, this state of defeat and hopelessness. We all seek cleansing somehow. We, we all seek purging of this emotional tension. What do people, what do Hindus do when they go in the Ganges River? They're hoping that it will purge them of their bad karma. What are Catholics doing when they go into the confession booth? They're hoping that the priest will cleanse them and purge them of their sin. When Muslims get on their knees and on their faces and they face Mecca, what are they hoping will be accomplished by this? That their sins will be forgiven, that they will be seen right in the eyes of Allah. What are Jews doing when they go to Jerusalem and they put the prayer in the western wall? They're hoping that Yahweh will hear their prayer and cleanse them of their sin. What are many people in the West doing when they get on social media and they cry out at different things? They're hoping for justification. They're hoping for cleansing. They're hoping for a purging of their emotional tension. What are people doing when they go to protest? They're hoping by joining these protests that that will somehow justify them. We're all seeking justification somehow, a release of our guilt. Martin Luther says, Although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that may merit that may merit would assure him. But you can almost change what Martin Luther says and put it in the words of many people in the West who say today it would be although an impeccable activist, I stood before the woke as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assure me. I mean, people are stricken; they're terror stricken before the masses. They're terrified that they're not going to, they're going to somehow misstep or say something wrong or post the wrong picture or like the wrong article. And that will lead to judgment. Everyone's looking for cleansing. They're looking for a purge of this emotional tension. They're looking for justification and there is no hope. Is there any hope for a hopeless world? For many, many people in the world, they're like castaways forsaken in the cold, dark seas, screaming for help, but no one will answer. No one comes to rescue them. Did you know that 1,600 people died in the Titanic sinking that actually were in the water alive, but no one rescued them? Of the 1,600 people that were left in the cold water of the North Atlantic, only 13 of them were rescued by half-filled lifeboats. Most of the lifeboats from the Titanic were half-filled, and they refused to rescue the 1,600 people left in the cold water. That's a great, great imagery of what the world is like. People are in cold, dark water, slowly dying with no hope, screaming for hope 
and there is given none. So the, so the, the point here is that God appeals to a hopeless world through his churches of his restoration project. So let me read Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed to the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. It is also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from uh, Apparatus and our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in, the, in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful uh, passage, Lord. And Lord, may we understand the importance, Lord, of your program of restoration, that you have sent your son into the world and that your son died on a cross, Lord, and you are reconciled all things in him. And Lord, you are reconciling us to yourself and you are making us people, Lord, who proclaim that restoration. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to teach us, continue to use this church Lord, we pray, Lord, for those who are not with us. Uh, Lord, we pray for them as you, uh, that you would protect them, that you would watch over them, Lord, and that you would bring them to us and, you would, uh, you, and that they would join us in worship uh, next week. Lord, we love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So God appeals to a hopeless world through his churches of his restoration program. So the first point, point number A, is his model. This is verses 1 through 14. Um, the main theme here is that God is reconciling to himself all things. God's program to restore humanity to himself. And God's work through the blood of his son, that he offered his son. The law was 
could not do this. The law was weakened by flesh, but Christ Jesus, he sent his son into the world. He offered his son to reconcile us to him. We see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, that we are reconciled through the blood of Christ, that we are restored to God through Christ. This is God's redemptive plan. This is his program of restoring humanity to himself is through the blood of his son. Without Christ, there would be no hope. We've pretty much established that. There'd be hopelessness. There would be no hope for any of us if it wasn't for Christ Jesus on the cross. Paul says here to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, they are in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is given to those in Christ. Those who are in Christ are chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. Redemption and forgiveness of sin comes to those in Christ. The hope of life is in Christ. In the catacombs of Rome, there's nameless uh, plaques or, or slabs. They're nameless. And all that it says is, in Christ. That these who die, these who uh, have been have been lain are saints that are in Christ. And they're in peace. It would also say in Christ and in peace. They're in peace because of their location in Christ. These saints, these faithful brothers in Colossae or in Christ are recipients of God's grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. They're recipients of God's grace. And by God's grace, they have peace with God. I think the problem sometimes is that as sometimes Christians struggle with this, especially right now with all the different political issues that are going on around us, we're distracted by second things and not focusing on first things. Uh, C.S. Lewis had an essay called um, First and Second Things, and he says, Every preference of a small good to a great or a partial good to a total good involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. You can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. If you don't put the gospel first, if you don't put God's grace first, there is no peace and there is no hope at all. There is no peace with one another. There's no hope for any of us if we don't put the gospel first, if we don't put the grace that is in Christ first. We mistake a second thing for a first thing, and you'll lose not only the real first thing, you'll lose the second thing too. And the reason why peace cannot come is because people have not identified the grace that is in God. And so people are screaming for justice. They're screaming for peace. They're screaming for all these things, and they are given nothing. Why? Because they're looking for second things, and they're forsaking the first things, which is the gospel. Peace cannot come before grace. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? The of first important, importance is what? The gospel that they believe, that the church of Corinth believed, that they heard from Paul. This is of first importance, the gospel, that Christ Jesus came to the world. He died for sinners. He was buried and then was raised on the third day. And Paul is going to introduce us to the church of Colossae. Again, he did not start this church But he writes this letter, and what Paul is talking about is what he presents is a model of restoration this church is demonstrating and displaying. He says here in verse 3, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. 
Why is he thankful? Why is he always thankful to God? Because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. God's work of grace is in this church. He would not be thankful for their faith if God wasn't the one who provided. That's why he says he thanks God. He's not thanking the church. He's thanking God because God is the reason for their faith. God's work of grace in this church. This is the main point here. God's work in this church. He is using this church. He's he's poured out his grace upon them, and he's using them to present a model to the world of his program of restoration. They were once, what, pagans? It says later on in this passage, they were alienated from God. They were hostile. They were hopeless. Going to the temple to find justification Uh, presenting offerings and worship to idols for what? Justification, for hope. So those who have been to Nepal, we've seen this. People go to to the idols and they do what? They're hoping for what? Justification. They're hoping for hope, but get none. These these pagan Gentiles were, some of them, maybe, maybe all of them, were victims of a powerful oppressor. Either that be the local leaders, or if they were slaves, which many of the Roman Empire citizens were slaves, their master, the emperor, the Roman government, the military, hopeless. Now they have heard the gospel, the good news. This good news has been done. When we say the gospel is good news, it doesn't mean that it's partial good news. It's good news, right? It has been accomplished. Jesus accomplished the good news. If the gospel is not completely about Christ's finished saving work alone, but about commandments we must keep, then the good news is actually bad news. It's good news. It's good news. They heard this good news, and they believed it, and they put their faith in it, and then they received hope. These people in Colossae have faith in Christ Jesus now, and Paul is thankful to God for his grace on their lives. And have the love that you have for all the saints. So they have faith in Christ Jesus. And he is thankful to God for their love that they have for all the saints. And he says why they love the saints. He says next here, starting in, in, in verse 5, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Basis of their love is in their hope. Love is inspired by hope. They are no longer a hopeless people. They have heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news. It has come to them. Their faith in the gospel has given them hope. It's not a hope that they see, as Romans 8.24 says. But the object of their hope is Christ Jesus. That is the object of their hope. They hope in the resurrection leads to love. They recognize that because Jesus has risen from the dead, that he is alive, that their hope is a living hope, and their hope is in their eventual resurrection. And because they have hope in the eternal, eternal, eternal life, and because they have hope in their future resurrection because they are in Christ, it leads them to love. And it's bearing fruit and increasing in all the world. He even says it's increasing in them. It's also increasing in the world. The marks of faith, love, and hope that the church of Colossae is demonstrating is actually bearing fruit in the world. 
And the gospel is continuing to bring hope to the hopeless because God is proclaiming his gospel through his church. And the marks of the gospel are faith, love, and hope. One of the issues with the church of Colossae, and one of the reasons why Paul's writing this letter, and I'm going to get to it later even more detail, but there's false teaching going on. And the, 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 the challenge or the battle is the battle of the truth of the gospel versus false teachings. We know that inevitably the gospel will conquer false teaching. It always will. And the way that it will conquer it is when this church and the believers and the saints, they put their faith in Christ, it leads to love because of their hope in the gospel. Even says here in verse 8 that that it's made known to us your love in the Spirit. When the gospel is enrooted in people's lives, when they are in Christ, it will lead to love. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been given to them. And by this, when we love when we put our faith, when we put our hope, it leads to the gospel bearing fruit and increasing in the world. So Paul prays for them in verse 9. He prays, he says, We have heard, the day we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So he's praying for this church. Again, there's false teaching that is in the, that's in the church. And Paul is praying that without ceasing, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his word, that they would trust in his word. They would be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Very similar language that we see in the Old Testament when the Spirit is given to those who crafted the tabernacle and the different items in the tabernacle, even the same uh, Spirit is given to those and gives them wisdom and understanding to build the the temple itself and and to build the the different furnitures that were required to be in the temple. They were filled with the Spirit of God, and it led to them having spiritual wisdom and their craftsmanship and these things. Very similar language that we see here. So, God, so Paul is praying that the church in Colossae, that the saints, his brothers in Christ, would be filled with the knowledge of God's Word and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, in the Old Testament, it was about building things. But here, it's not about building things. It's about walking in a worthy manner of the Lord. That's fully pleasing. So Paul is praying that this church would be filled with the knowledge of God, that they'd be filled with spiritual wisdom, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's word and his will so that they will walk in a worthy manner of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. The prayer is is that they would not be stagnant, but instead that they would be, be on fire for Christ and, on, and, and filled with the Spirit and, and continue to be filled with His Word so that it will produce good works. It will produce fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, walking in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. Growing in their understanding of the gospel. That it leads to love and fruit of every good work. And it's almost similar language that we see in Genesis chapter 1. In verse 28, when God created Adam and Eve, when he created, created man and, and, and woman, and they were d- called to do what? To be fruitful and to multiply and subdue the earth. Here, 
uh, Paul is praying that this church would be filled with the knowledge of God, filled with his, his, his will, and that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to God, and then doing what? Pro- producing fruit, multiplying. They are a part of God's restoration plan. God to reconcile all things to himself through the gospel of Christ, and which the results in his church is to bear fruit in every good works, multiplying, subduing the earth through the gospel, not through conquest, not through soldiers and chariots, not through economics, but through the gospel itself, bringing hope to the world. And through Christ, the world is being subdued by the gospel. When, when people are transformed by the gospel and they're given hope, when they're filled with the knowledge of God, when they are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, when they're doing things that are pleasing to the Lord, it brings hope into the world. And pe- the world is exposed to that hope and they're transformed by that hope. He prays also that they would be strengthened with all power, given thanks to the Father. These are all things that he's praying that they will have so that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They will please the Lord. He says, give thanks to the Father. Why? Because you've been qualified. You've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. What inheritance is he talking about? He's talking about the new creation, which has begun in Christ's resurrection. We, We sang in that second song, Christ in power resurrected, as we will be when he comes. That's the inheritance we have been promised. The love of the world, you've qualified. Why? Not because of what you've done. You've done nothing to qualify yourself, but you thank God because God is the one that qualifies you through his son, Jesus. You've been transformed or delivered to the kingdom of his beloved son. You've been rescued out of the dominion of darkness. You've been literally taken out, rescued, and transferred and delivered to the kingdom of his beloved son. We are in Christ, Christ who raised from the dead, and so therefore we share in that same resurrection. Remember, God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. How can we be God's people if death has power over us? It makes no sense. We are in Christ because he's conquered death. And that's what we have been qualified for because of God. Because, and therefore, we share thankfulness. We, we are thankful to God for his redemption, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Our hope leads us to love. It exposes the world to God's program of restoration. The church is the model, the model of what God is doing in the world, reconciling the world to himself. And the church is the model of that restoration. Look to the people of the church, his people, how he has given them hope, how he has given them faith, and how that faith has led to love. That is the program, and it's through Jesus. There's the difference between building a model plane and actually seeing it. Like, uh, my, my grandfather, when I was a kid, we used to build, like, he would build model planes for me because I was a huge airplane fan, loved airplanes, and uh, loved the F-14 Tomcat because of Top Gun the movie. Uh, so I loved that plane. Um, and I remember going to an air show and actually seeing the plane fly. There's a difference between a model and a TV show or a movie and actually seeing the red, real thing. The sound, the speed. And actually, if you go to an air show, you actually get to walk up to the airplanes, right, and touch them because they have them out there on the, on, the, on the base. 
We are models of God's restoration. We are creatures of restoration. And when people see the church, they see the real program that's going on, that God is giving and changing people's lives through his son. And Paul continues to just explain uh, in verses 15 through 22 the beauty of Christ Jesus and God's program. So the second point is his program, 15 and 22. He starts off and saying, the one whom we have uh, redemption through, the forgiveness of sins, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Most likely this was an early hymn that the early church would sing. He says he is the Lord of the old creation. He is the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, meaning when Adam was created and God said, I will create him in my image, he will create him to be like Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean Jesus was born, but that he is the firstborn, meaning he has given all authority over God's creation. It was created through him and for him. He was before all things and all things hold together. He is the one who sustains this earth right now. We were created, yes, in God's image, but God modeled us off his son, Jesus, the eternal son of God. Not only is he the Lord of all old creation, but he's the Lord of the new creation. He's the head of the church, the new people of God of the new covenant. He's the firstborn of the dead. He conquered death. And he was, when he conquered death, when he raised from the dead, he wasn't a spirit, he wasn't a ghost. He was real. They touched his wounds. He ate with his disciples. He is preeminent. He is the chief over everything. He was the chief over the old world, and he is the chief over the new world. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It was God's pleasure to reconcile us to his son. God's pleasure to send his son into the world to redeem us and save us and make us reconciled with him, to make peace by the blood of his cross. This was God's pleasure. This was God's plan. This was what God desired. This was his will. The fall that we see in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. We see this in verse 21 explained. He's talking about the church the church that once were alienated and hostile in mild mind doing evil things. This is what they were. Creation itself groans, as it says in Romans 8, 19 through 22, that we groan because of sin, because of, of we scream in hopelessness because of sin. And we're alienated from God, separated from him, hostile in mind. Before Christ, we were like the uh, king's of the earth in Psalms chapter 2 who want to burst off the binds and the ropes of God. We mock God. We hate God. We have no faith. We are ignorant of God's will. We do evil deeds. We have no love. We have only 
hopelessness. There is no victims here. We all share the same condition. There is no victims. There are no oppressed when it comes to sin before God. The quote, When a great 17th century Christian woman, an encourager of God's servants, Lady Huntington, invited one of her friends, the Duchess of Buckingham, to, her, to hear George Whitfield preach. She received this reply, It's monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wrench that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiment so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. This lady was appalled that she was called a common sinner, just like the lowest of the low. She was appalled. There are no victims. All are common wretches before God, hopeless in a hopeless world, desiring justification, desiring peace, desiring hope, desiring the second things. Without the gospel of Christ, these things are unattainable. Outside the restoration program of God, they're unattainable. the, The world likes to say that, well, I'm a victim. I've been oppressed. That's the reason why I do what I do. That's why I think what I think. That's not going to work before God. There are no victims when it comes to your uh, relationship or your accountability to God. There are no victims here. There are no excuses. There are no power players who have the power and I don't have the power, so they are to blame for my mistakes and my sin. No, there are no victims here. There are no victims. Only common sinners before a holy God. These early these, these Christians in Colossae were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. The slave did these things. The, the rich man did these things. They all shared this in common. And they were all redeemed by Christ. They were all reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is God's program of restoration. The church of Colossae is a model of this restoration. Look at their faith. Look at their love. Look at their hope. R.C. Sproul's wrote this. He says, Luther used a simple analogy to explain it. He described the condition of a patient who was mortally ill. The doctor proclaimed that he had medicine that would surely cure the man. The instant the medicine was administered, the doctor declared that the patient was well. At that instant, the patient was still sick. But as soon as the medicine passed through his lips and entered his body, the patient began to get well. So it is with our reconciliation and justification. As soon as we truly believe that very instant, we start to get better. The process of becoming pure and holy is underway, and, the, and its future completion is certain. That's the hope that people need in a hopeless world. We pray in hope of God's medicine, continual success in our lives, in the lives of others. And we pray that God's medicine would be administered to those who have no hope. The last point here is quick, and I'll be quick. His appeal. His appeal, verse 23. If you indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's 
encouraging this church in Colossae to continue in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, don't fall into false teaching which surrounds you. Stay faithful to the word. And he's confident, Paul is confident that they will be faithful to God's word. And the appeal of God's program of restoration is to continue in faith in Christ. He was preeminent over the old world. He is preeminent over the new world. There is hope for the hopeless in him. That's why Paul gives you this long hymn in the middle of this. He says, if you need hope, if you desire hope, if you lack hope, look to the one who created the world and look to the one who brings in a new world, the Lord of all. He came into the world and reconciled us through his body. He brought peace to us. He reconciles us to his father. Trust in him. He has all the power. He is supreme. He is superior over everything. In Christ, there is peace. Like I said before, the world is screaming in hopelessness. And they're left to struggle and die in cold, dark waters. And the gospel is the lifeboat to their hopelessness. It's the lifeboat. And Christ is presenting this restoration, and and he's saying, look at the testimony of the church. Look at the testimony of my churches. Look at the hope that they have. Look at the love they have for one another. Look at their faith in me. Look to them. Look to the testimony and trust in Christ. even says here in the end, Paul is a minister of this gospel. But Paul is not the only minister of the gospel. We are all ministers of reconciliation, right? We're all ministers of restoration, right? How do we model and maintain the gospel? How do we we model and minister the gospel? Faith, love, and hope in the gospel. Filled with God's will. And by that, we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and please Him. That's how we model it is that we continue to grow in our knowledge of God's word. We continue to love one another. We continue to put our faith in him. We continue to put our hope in our resurrection. And by that, God will use us as his model of his program of restoration to the world. Let me put it this way. I think this is beautiful. Christ is the new Adam, right? He's the firstborn of the dead. You know what that makes us? We're the bride of Christ, right? We are the new Eve, helping our Savior and Lord multiply and subdue the world through the gospel. And the reason why Paul wrote this letter is because there was false teaching, right? I said this earlier. They were distracted by false teachers. And they were making inroads into the church. Distractions. We are distracted by a lot of things, aren't we? We're distracted by who should wear a mask and who shouldn't wear masks. We're distracted by who should win the election, who didn't win the election. We're distracted by who's woke and who isn't woke. We're just distracted by these things. You know what these things are? They're just false teachings that are directing us away from the gospel. If you trust the gospel of Christ and put your hope in Christ, you will be fruitful in good works, pleasing to God, and God will use you to bring restoration. And by that, we will show the world hope. 
Because that's what the world needs. It needs hope. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about justice. I actually think we should talk about justice, but we've got to put the first things first. We've got to talk about the gospel. And if we talk about the gospel, we make the gospel our lives, but we put our lives in the gospel, we're faithful to it, we put our hope in the gospel, it will actually lead to more justice because we're putting the first things first. And the second things will follow. When we are, as Paul is praying, we are being filled with the knowledge of God. We're walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, pleasing to God. When we are being fruitful in every good work, when God is restoring the world and he is reconciling the world and using us as his model, as his ministers of restoration, then hope goes out into the world. Hope goes out to the world that is full of hopelessness. Be creatures of God's restoration. Be creatures of of God's restoration. If you're in Christ, you are a creature of his restoration. Be what you are. And as a church, let us be a collection of creatures of his restoration. As the church of Colossae modeled, they put their faith in Christ. They loved one another because they put their hope in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it challenges us to be faithful to you. It challenges us, Lord, to continue to be filled with your word, to be filled with your will, to continue to be filled with the knowledge of your word. And Lord, it, it, and it calls us to walk in a manner worthy of you, to do things that please you. And by that, Lord, you will actually use us to subdue the world and give it hope. You have created the world through Christ. You created us in his image. We have fallen, Lord. But yet you send him back into the world. You send him in, I'm sorry, you sent him in the world, Lord, and he brought peace through his blood, through his flesh. He was risen from the dead. And you have given him the authority over the church. You've given him authority over everything. He is preeminent over everything. And in him we have hope. And the world will have hope when they're in Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would use us, Lord, to be fruitful. That you would use us, Lord, to proclaim your gospels, to be ministers of it, to be, to be a people, a creature of your restoration. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has never put their trust in Christ, they've never been recipients of your grace, they don't, they don't understand, they don't experience the peace that they should have with you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them, Lord. I pray that, you would, that they would cry out to you, Lord, and ask for forgiveness, and that you would change their heart. We ask that you would do this, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would do the same thing to them that you did to us and to the, the, the brothers in Colossae, that you changed their hearts. They were once alienated and hostile, and you reconciled them, Lord. You gave them new hearts. Do that for those in this room who do not have Christ. Save them, Lord. Redeem them. We plead with you. As Paul prayed, I also pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and knowledge, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing unto you, that we would bear fruit in every good work, that we would increase in the knowledge of God, that we would be strengthened with your power, Lord, by your might, for all 
spiritual, for all patience and endurance, and that we would give thanks to you, Lord, for our redemption, that we have been, you have qualified us to be inheritance of your, of your, a share of your inheritance, Lord, and that you have delivered us from darkness. You have transformed, for, for, transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take up the Lord's Supper. Um, the way that we do this, this is for those who are believers, those who put their